Hey, I'm Jason Wood, the VA Loan Guy and host of the Armed and Ready podcast. Please come and check out this exciting episode we have for you. We have a return guest on the show. I'm super excited to have Doug Lito on the show with us. Doug is one of my favorites. He is a military aviator. He's into acting. He's into all sorts of investing and cool stuff. So um, we have a lot of neat things to talk about with you today. So Doug, thank you so much for um, spending some time with us again. Yes, Jason, it's great to be back. And I can't believe the last time we did this was 10 months ago already. So that's amazing. Time flies even during COVID amazing stuff. I know it does. And it's, it's just crazy. I mean, even though it's been such a unique year for all of us, I feel like the time has gone faster. And I don't know. I don't know why maybe being cooped up makes you feel like the time goes faster. I'm not sure. But I feel the exact opposite with you. But, but whatever. <laughs> Interesting point of view. Yeah, well, um, yeah, everyone's own perspective. But um, I'm really excited to have you on, on the show again. You know, last time we were talking, of course, we didn't really recognize what the outcome of COVID was going to be and stuff. And it, um, it's definitely changed kind of the movie world a little bit, um, or put some, put, put, pump the brakes on the movie world a little bit, I guess is a good way to say it. But, um, but you got to, uh, to act in a movie that I'm super duper excited about because as a kid, I, I love the first one, but that's Top Gun Maverick, which is supposed to now come out around the July 4th weekend, 2021, right? Oh yes, July 2nd. Last time we spoke, it was uh, two months into COVID social distancing and we were planning it coming out in December. They pushed it back to July 2nd. And hopefully the way things are tracking with COVID, I think, uh, you know, the vaccines are gonna work. Everybody's gonna be out and about. It'll be summertime. Theaters will be open. The premiere is gonna be in San Diego. It's going to be seriously the roaring 20s all over again. This is going to be a great year. Oh, I'm super excited for it. Um, and I think you're right. I think COVID's going to lighten up to the point where, yeah, we can go see a movie and it's just going to be awesome timing, you know, around Independence Day. And it's such, you know, um, kind of an, an oorah kind of movie, you know, just um, all about the, the U.S. And, and, and fighter planes and, and the Navy. And it's so cool. And, and I just remember as a kid, you know, and even still, when when the first Top Gun even comes on, like I can't I can't change past that channel. You know, if Top Gun's playing on like some TV channel, I always gotta pop by and watch it for a little bit because it's so awesome. At least at least if you love aviation and the military, you like that movie. Oh man, for sure. The first Top Gun movie was a game changer, as we talked about in our last thing. It, it changed my life. It, it was like I want to be like those guys. And I'll tell you, I was so lucky. Uh, when I got my Navy ROTC scholarship and we got to do our summer, uh, our summer cruises. And so for uh, all three summers, I would go down to San Diego for my one month cruise. And for two of the three summers in college, it was post Top Gun, but pre tailhook scandal. And it was like that window in time, amazing window in time when Naval aviators were absolute rock stars. And on a Thursday night at Miramar, which used to be a Navy base, of course, that's the, the base they used for the, the original Top Gun. Right. There was the Officers Club. And Thursday night at the Officers Club was Ladies Night. And oh my God, the stories I could tell, 
about <laughs> the whole club. It was incredible. The first time I went there as a midshipman, you know, I, I was uh, definitely under 21 and all these cool pilots were there in their flight suits. And this place was packed. The music was playing. The tiki torches were on. People are dancing by the swimming pool. And, and I was just in awe of what I was seeing. It was four women for every pilot. And uh, of course, San Diego, you know, the women in San Diego are beautiful. And it was just absolutely crazy. I was so fortunate to get to see that with my own eyes as a young college age guy. And of course, uh, I don't know if you're up to speed on the tail hook scandal, but uh, you know, th this was that same period of time when pilots were living like rock stars. And the annual convention used to be in, in Las Vegas. And they were uh, partying way too hard, having way too much fun. Same type of mentality as what I got to see at the uh, O Club. But what happened was a, uh, a new female aviator, uh, they, they had just started letting in female naval aviators. And she was there. And she didn't like what she was seeing. And man, uh, there were Senate inquiries and so many big, you know, admirals, you know, lost their jobs. It was a horrible time. Officer clubs were shut down across the world. There's uh, a whole change of the culture. And the interesting thing is I, uh, you know, have been a naval aviator this whole time. And, and I go to the tail hook conventions, which got very, very tame. But now when I go back to the tailhook conventions, no one even remembers uh, the tailhook scandal. Nobody, you know, very few people even remember uh, post tailhook. So now you go to the tailhook conventions and you're like, man, these young, these young pilots, they need to take it easy. They're going to get, get us in trouble again. It's, it, it, the, uh, <laughs> the, the fun is back, I'll tell you. And, and then I can just forecast when Top Gun Maverick comes out, it's gonna be back. It's gonna be like naval aviation is gonna be back to the forefront. Everybody's gonna to wanna to join the Navy, be a pilot. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So it's super fun as an actor, you know, after my Navy career being an actor, to uh, you know, be on set, to be part of uh, Top Gun, making it. I'm telling you, it's gonna change. This movie will affect so many things. It's even going to affect uh, cars. The coolest cars you've ever seen were parked at the bar that we filmed at. Every pilot has cool cars. It's just a fact. We call them instant mobiles. We get our first uh, paycheck and bonus. We run in. We get an American muscle car, bright colors, you know, <laughs> driving around with our hair on fire. That's just the way we live. And so the motorcycles, the cars, they're even gonna, gonna have Mattel uh, sets, Top Gun Maverick sets the kids can buy, bright color, you know, Dodge, and I don't, I don't know all the brands, but it's just gonna be incredible. And I'm telling you, it's gonna, uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for it. I mean, it just, it's just fun to think back uh, uh, during that original time that you're explaining. And, you know, I've talked to some, some clients that, you know, Flew the F-14 in the Navy during those times, and 
they're like, I can't even tell you all the stories because they're not PG. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, you nailed it right on the head. I mean, they were absolute rock stars. I mean, if you were a naval aviator, it didn't even matter what you flew. It didn't have to be the F-14. I mean, if you flew in the Navy, you were a rock star, period. And, um, yeah, I think it's going to be much the same. Um, so, so speaking of, you know, flying, you know, a, a naval jet, Tell us a little bit about that. What is it like? I mean, obviously you weren't a pilot like right after the first Top Gun, you know, and, and experiencing that exact same thing. But, um, you know, what is it like being a pilot? Like, you know, flying cross country and, and doing formation flying and and um, learning how to land on an aircraft. I'd imagine your first couple of times it's probably scary as hell. But, like, what is all that like? First of all, the training is super, super intense and very challenging. And, you know, I was always a straight A student. You know, I got accepted to Duke University. I was a varsity athlete, good at, good at video games, hand-eye, very confident person. I got to uh, primary flight training and man, I sucked. It was, it really didn't click for me. And, and I, you know, even called my dad and I said, hey, I don't think I'm you know, cut out for this. And, and he gave me a pep talk, just the right amount of, you know, motivation and a little threatening, like, do you need me to come out there? Like, no, dad, <laughs> I don't need that. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, you know, the training that they uh, put, put into all of us, you know, two to three years from, from the start to getting your wings. And, and it's, you know, I, I did six years as a flight instructor. And I can tell you, there's no better training that someone can go through. It's so well thought out, so well organized. It's really a well-oiled machine in the training command. And, um, and yes, just you know, working hard, that work hard, play hard mentality, uh, you know, and, and the great instruction that you get, and they do give you the, the flight hours that you need, the simulator time, the training, the patience, and and then we we all get to that level. You know, when I say we all, some people do fail out, but uh, you know, in general, you know, the the program works, and you know, the the big thing uh, you know, is just learning the little tricks. Like for example, you have to fly when you're flying formation. You have to fly so, so, so smooth. I'm talking minute corrections. And one of the best tricks one of my primary instructors told me, we have a, a kneeboard pad on our thigh. And right. he said, my trick is you lean your, your forearm on your kneeboard pad and you just fly with your wrist. And you, if you can imagine, I was flying you know, with my arm in the air and so my arm was just subtly moving all the time. And then my formation flying was so rough. But when I anchored it on my knee pad and I even would cock up my knee, you know, for, for 20 years of flying, I had to cock up my knee um, to have that perfect hand position so that I could just do super, super tiny uh, infinitesimal corrections. And another thing a flight instructor taught me is the three-part corrections. If you're drifting back in formation, you need to add power. Then you need, so to get you drifting 
where you need to go back forward to be in the perfect spot. Then you pull the power off and then you reset. So add the power to move up, pull the power off to stop that moving forward and then reset what you hope is the perfect position. And then you hope you stay perfect. But, but then these three part corrections never end. You're always fine tuning it, always fine tuning it. So just like, you know, everything the blue angels do at the air shows, we teach our students in the training command to do. We fly four plane division flights and we all, you know, can do aerobatics together. And um, people always ask me, you know, so how, how does it work? And, and, you know, what do you have to do? And, and with training, you just get so used to it. You, you know, when you're on the outside of a turn, this, this hand is my lead and I'm, I'm the wingman. I know on the outside of, I have to add power because you're like on the tail of a whip. Add power, come around the top and then pull power when you're inside of the turn. And you just, uh, with doing it over and over and over again, you just get the feel of it, the anticipation and until and we become so proficient that we are, you know, imperceptibly locked in to that perfect uh, position. And, you know, the reason we uh, do that is not to look cool at air shows and to impress people. It's because we need to be able to fly through the clouds. So we, we can get so close that we're punching through clouds in four plane divisions and, and the lead is uh, using his instruments to fly because we can't see the ground. He, if, if the lead screws up, we all screw up. There's been, uh, no kidding, uh, craters in the ground of four aircraft perfectly in formation that followed their lead into the dirt. So the lead is, we're trusting him to navigate and all we're doing is getting our three checkpoints off of him to stay in that perfect position and we just trust him and, and follow him uh, through the formation. Also in a four plane, the fourth plane, sometimes he's outside uh, one of the second wings, so it's a, a row of three. So you really want two to be really great. If he's super solid, your job is easy. If two sucks and he's always moving up and moving back, and then you're like, geez, this guy is hard to fly form off of. So of course, uh, you know, he'll get better and, and all that. But you see that a lot in the training command with the students, uh, you know, how it's a, a domino effect. And then, and then also um, the fourth one can then uh, move up into a diamond formation. But once again, he's looking off of either dash two or three. The fourth plane isn't looking off of dash one. So I, I hope that makes sense to you. Yeah. That's how you do it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then are you guys talking to each other the whole time during this well, as you're flying together? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so in, um, we, we can do it two ways. We can definitely talk to each other. So for example, you say speed brakes now and you hit your speed brakes. And the guys, when they hear now, they hit their speed brakes and we all do it together. If we all are, need to slow down and then, you know, gear and flaps now, throw down the gear, drop the flaps to half, that type of thing. Full flaps now. But uh, sometimes in, um, you know, we have to be radio silence in combat. We don't want to 
transmit where we are. So we also train to do it without comms and we use hand signals. So like there's a guy flying off my left wing and I'll go speed brakes, head forward, head back, boom, hit the speed brakes. And uh, gear and flaps, you know, is a signal like this. And then head forward, head back, gear, flaps to half. So everything is practiced, everything's coordinated. And then as a flight instructor, we're grading our students on those transitions, how locked in they can be when they're putting out their speed brakes. In the beginning of their training, man, it's a circus watching these students coordinate to put their speed brakes out. You know, they'll be like, speed brakes now, head forward, head back, whoa, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know. But, but they um, become, I'm telling you, 90% of them become as good as the Blue Angels. I, I will swear by that. The, the uh, Blue Angels are picked more by their personality and their reputation than they are for their airmanship because all of us are, can fly great. We all can land on the carrier with precision. We all can fly formation and aerobatics with precision. What it really is, is like rushing a super elite fraternity and, you know, and getting in, you know, and yeah. it seems like, you know, with everything else, uh, you know, probably back in the day, um, you know, back, you know, in the nineties, uh, you know, post uh, Top Gun, it was, you know, just like everything else, I'm sure that the, the uh, Blue Angels have major stories to tell back then when you talk about rock stars. But I did, uh, I, I think that, you know, through the ages as the um, military has cleaned up its act and act more, you know, better officers, better role models, they do look at that when they're recruiting. You know, they want to make sure they're picking guys that aren't going to get in the news. You know, you got to um, represent the Navy well. And so um, a lot of my friends have, uh, you know, rushed the Blue Angels. They, uh, uh, classmates of mine have made the Blue Angels. Students of mine have made the Blue Angels. They're all top shelf, just rock star, all American, great, great, solid guys. And when, you know, when they make the Blue Angels, you, you, you're like, I get it. Those guys are, that's what the kind of guys we want to put up front to represent all of us in the Navy, in Naval Aviation and for America, you know, so it's great to see. So what's the, um, um, the, the story with, uh, the Top Gun school, um, that we heard about, and obviously the movie is predicated on, on getting into that school and so forth. And I, I know when the original movie was Miramar was the Top Gun school. And I think now it's uh, Fallon Naval Air Station. Right. But, um, what, what's that all about? What is the Top Gun school all about? In, uh, in the movies, we always have to dramatize things more. You right. know, every movie's the same. You know, the guy has problems with his dad. The guy is a maverick. He has to overcome something. There's got to be a big, you know, climactic finale. You know, guy meets girl, guy falls in love, guy loses girl, guy gets girl in the back. Every movie's the same. But uh, the reason I say that is because they really wanted to uh, dramatize Top Gun. So Top Gun is for sure the best of the best, but it's not as um, elite and 
uh, reserved as they make it look in the in the movie. And it's and it's not as uh, um, it's not like a tournament, like you know you're the winner and 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 all that kind of stuff. You know, they but they really built that up just to you know have that drama um, and and to make it more exciting. Um, but you know, the the main thing is the top, or I should say, the more senior uh, junior officers in the uh, squadrons go there learn the advanced tactics the best tactics because they're going to go back to the fleet and and teach the younger guys and and so that's really what it comes down to um, but all the training in the military is top shelf and it's all about getting the entire fleet ready uh through the training through the workups before deployment to go out and on cruise and be able to do the job so as you know now it's in Fallon, Nevada, instead of at Miramar. And Fallon is an incredible uh, place to fly. Uh, you know, we did our workups there before going out on, on our six-month deployment. And we, as a, a, a carrier air wing, we would uh, go against uh, their instructor pilots in our training. Um, and we also would fly with them. So uh, in the movie Top Gun, they use uh, F-5 Tigers painted, you, you know, to look like the MiGs with the star and everything. And uh, so our air wing would uh, go against those pilots. And also, uh, if we weren't flying, uh, you know, I could hop in the back seat of the F-5 Tiger and, you know, be a part of it going against the air wing. And, you know, also learn the tricks from those guys. And uh, I'll tell you, those flying lawn darts are out of control. Uh, you know, like they go, they go through supersonic with just like an imperceptible thing. Like one time uh, I was looking down at the, at the gauge you know, to see that we were supersonic and we were down very low uh, below, you know, flying under the radar. The pilot, uh, turned hard and pulled a serious hard turn. And I had my head down just like this much with the helmet on. And when he did that and pulled, the, the G's were, you know, probably four G's. So my, my helmet, you know, went from 15 pounds or whatever to 80. And I actually heard the muscles in the back of my neck. I heard them go, like, it was like, it was like, holy shit. Like, you know, I didn't want to tell him, Hey, how about a little warning? Uh, cause I didn't want him to think I was, I was a puss, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, I had to sort that, you know, but, uh, but no, it's, it's an incredible place to fly. Um, and it's also good to be out there in Fallon cause you don't have too many distractions cause there's really not much else to do out there in Fallon. You know, the, the best thing to do is, uh, you, you got to drive over an hour to Reno or, uh, you know, hour and a half, two hours to Tahoe. Yeah. So, so when you're there, you're just, you know, head down, working hard, training hard, studying hard, getting called up, getting ready to go out and deploy. That's really cool. Yeah. I always wondered if they actually flew F5s as kind of the aggressor in your guys' training or if that was just a movie thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's yes. pretty cool. Did you get to fly one of those? Have you flown one? Yes. I, I, uh, that story I told about the strained neck was in an F5 Tiger. Gotcha. 
Nice. Nice. Um, and, um, so tell us, you know, um, obviously, you know, as a pilot, you're, you got to fly all over the place, but what is it like, like doing cross countries? Have you been to any, any cool spots where you have, you know, some interesting experience? Yes. Uh, really one of the best perks of being a naval aviator is the cross countries. Um, it, when people, when my civilian friends hear about this, they are just like, man, you guys are so lucky. So the way it works is, as long as you're getting real training done, you can uh, put in a cross-country request and you know, leave on a Friday and come back on a Sunday night. And, and the world, it, I shouldn't say the world is your oyster, oyster, but the continental United States is definitely your oyster. And um, when I was married, I had a, uh, you know, my wife said one weekend a month, you can go on a cross country with your friends. And so uh, I put in my request and, you know, we'd always go to fun places, uh, lots of times to Miami, you know, Las Vegas, um, ski trips. Uh, it's, it's such an amazing, amazing perk. And then a lot of guys, uh, I was telling you about rushing the Blue Angels. Uh, the air show circuit is a great uh, cross-country opportunity. The air shows are so fun to go to. They really take care of the pilots. Um, so, and we, we have the calendar. We know what's going on. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we get our approvals. We fly into the air show uh, park for the static display, uh, meet and greets with the uh, people at the air show. There's a pilot only hospitality tent where they uh, really take good care of us. Uh, you know, lots of times I'm personal friends with the Blue Angels. So I, you know, they do their show. Then we go out afterwards. That's always a, a real interesting experience, uh, getting to fly their wing uh, on, the, on the ground, seeing the, the fun that happens on that, that side of things. So it's definitely, uh, cross countries are, are definitely one of the best perks and, and so far, that amazing good deal hasn't gone away. So, so cross your fingers for those guys that they get to continue to do that. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And it's, it's interesting. So, so I grew up in Reno and as a kid, always went to the, the Fallon Naval Air Show. I mean, and, and the Reno Air Races. I, I don't know that I missed hardly any my whole childhood. And um, it's, it is cool. I mean, those air shows are really awesome. And, um, and yeah, and I, I remember seeing those those tents, the hospitality tents, and things like that. And yeah, you guys are set up pretty well. Um, I'll I'll tell you a funny story, uh, uh, a cross country story and a, and an air show story. I uh, I did a cross country to Minnesota from San Diego to go to my uh, cousin's wedding, and on the way back uh, there was a really bad storm, and the air air traffic control turned us 90 degrees from the storm to avoid it. And we were, we were uh, definitely in the goo. You know, I couldn't see, it, it, I'm flying through clouds. And the next thing I know is uh, my canopy goes <laughs> and turns solid brown. And I know it sounds stupid, but my first thing that came through my mind was, this is definitely going to sound stupid. The first thing that came through my mind is that I flew through cow shit. 
and I'm at, you know, 37,000 feet, but that's what it looked like. It looked like I, my canopy was covered with brown cow shit. I couldn't see. And it turns out what happened is it was hail. And when it hit the canopy and uh, cracked it into these little cracks, it turned brown. And, and it was saw, you know, saw brown, I can't see out of it. So uh, the emergency procedure is to declare an emergency, uh, dump cabin pressure, uh, descend to a lower altitude, you know, make sure your visor's on, your, your ejection seat is as low as it can go in case the canopy uh, actually cracks more and comes into you. So then you'll be down low and protected as best you can. You know, you don't wanna, you don't wanna take the, can the canopy shards, you know, you gotta protect yourself. Right. So uh, what happened is my, uh, my right seater navigator, he, uh, when his oxygen mask, the speaker wouldn't work in it. Uh, and so he, he couldn't speak, but he could still turn the radios and, and tune the navigation stuff. But I um, had him get the right frequency. We, we declared our emergency. I had him uh, look up where we, we wanted to go because my plan was uh, I didn't want to eject. Uh, you know, if you eject, of course, these planes are like $28 million. I'm going to get in huge trouble. Uh, plus, uh, personally, uh, if you eject, the ejection seat will seriously jack up your spine. You know, it's just like, that's not the plan. So right. my, my plan is I want to do a, uh, instrument precision approach and, and land on a runway. And it's funny because, uh, we told him where we wanted to go and it was, uh, off at air force base in Oklahoma or Nebraska, I can't remember what state. That's, they had a precision approach and they were pretty close. So we, we uh, tuned them up, we headed there, we told them what we were doing. And then they said, uh, you know, we couldn't go there because there's an air show there. Oh, and no. I said, I said, negative, this is an emergency. Tell them to clear the runway, we're coming in. And they said, stand by. And then, you know, after a couple minutes, uh, they got back to us, you're approved to land. Uh, please be advised that there's a grandstand with 30,000 people to your right. So if you make a mistake, make it to your left. So, <laughs> oh, no pressure. No pressure. Yeah, I flew a, a perfect uh, approach, precision approach. You know, my uh, needles were always locked in. I just flew it right down. It's, it was perfectly centered. The good news is, is, uh, and also the, the needles even stay uh, centered. This, this is this, you know, sideways one. It'll even stay centered on the runway. So, uh, but the good news is the canopy to my left was not cracked. So I had my needles and then I could look out the side. So I, uh, I landed. And, and I kept my needle straight and I looked at that side, needle straight, kept that side, slew, uh, smooth, straight application of my brakes. I don't want to uh, weave, you know, I just got to take it easy. I got a ton of runway ahead of me because uh, Air Force Base, they have super long runways, no stress. And I, I slowed down and then, uh, and then uh, we stopped. And then Peep Show gets his mask off and he goes, there, he goes, there's a, 
fire truck coming. There's a fire truck coming. And so I get on the radio and I tell them there's no fire. Make sure the, the fire guys don't uh, squirt us because those firemen are real eager beavers to come out with their foam and spray stuff that doesn't need spray and they'll ruin our jet. So, so then we shut everything down. The plan is we're going to shut everything down, get out, and then they're going to tow our jet off the runway. So we climb out of our jets, no kidding, and there's a grandstand filled with 30,000 people and they're cheering like it's a sporting event. And we're like waving at them, like conquering heroes. <laughs> they, uh, we pull into a golf cart. They, they drive us to the uh, pilot hospitality tent. Uh, you know, everything's good. There's uh, a keg there. There's big Subway sandwiches. We're eating, we're drinking, we're talking to their pilots. You know, we're, we're just so happy to be alive. And, uh, and then I told Peep Show, I said, hey, you're the senior man. You better call back to base and tell the skipper what happened. And, and he's like, oh, no. So he calls the skipper, and they're like, hey, we're just happy um, that you guys are okay. You know, good job uh, getting safe on deck. You know, they're just, you know, oh, my gosh. And, um, and then uh, the skipper goes, hold on. The safety officer wants to talk to you. So Nora Conley, female uh, safety officer, gets on the phone and she goes, hey, peep show, um, we need a piss test. Whenever there's a class A mishap, you have to take a piss test to make sure you know, there wasn't a, a problem. And so peep show goes, they want us to take a piss test. And I'm like, just tell them the truth, man. We already started drinking. I mean, <laughs> um, you know, he said, hey, sorry. But um, they had a keg here with the hospitality tent. We both had a couple beers already. And then she goes, and then she asked the skipper, and then she goes, forget the piss test. You guys are fine. <laughs> so, so they uh, they had to fly in a new canopy. They had to fix it all. We got, you know, five days off, in, uh, off at Air Force Base. And then we were able to fly at home. No harm, no foul. But that was a pretty interesting adventure. That's pretty. That's a pretty crazy story. You kind of like the, the air show crashers, right? <laughs> like yeah. like wedding crashers, like sort of. Crashers. Yeah, that's a lot of fun, man. Um, so you're doing some other some fun stuff, kind of on your own now. You were you were talking a little bit before the show about you know some forex and some um, GameStop stock and oh, yeah. you know um, just doing you know totally diverting from flying. But um, tell us about what you're doing there. I mean. Obviously, GameStop and Reddit and all that stuff has made big news lately. Um, uh, so, yes. what do you tell us about that yeah. a little bit? What are you up to? Yes, yeah, so with your background and helping people with loans and the markets and all that stuff, and and that's a, definitely a new thing for me. But I have gone hog wild about it. And the thing I'm most bullish on is cryptocurrency. That's I believe in cryptocurrency 110 percent. Uh, I, I, I'm uh, telling everybody about it and most people just don't want to hear it. They're like, I don't, I don't believe it. I'm too late, you know, because uh, right now it's $50,000 for one Bitcoin. So who wants to, who wants to get, get involved with that? It's like, it's gonna, it's like a bubble that's going to pop and I don't want to be the bag holder, but I, I disagree. And the, the reason is, 
you know, you know, I don't want to take up all your time, but I'll try to uh, get to get to it real fast. Right now, there's 28 million Bitcoin out there. There's only ever going to be 31 million. It's finite. Whereas the U.S. dollar is a fiat currency, and they just print more and more. It, just in the last year and a half, we're in our third stimulus package. One was 0.8 trillion. One was 0.8 trillion. Now this next one's 1.9 trillion. They're just making up fake money. So that so yeah, the stock market prices are going up, but what can you buy with those dollars? Houses have gone up too. You know that in your in your business and yeah. loans that. The reason I think the houses are going up is because the dollars we buy them with are less, uh, you know, useful. So, so that's the big thing about Bitcoin. And also this, um, you know, small amount makes them very inelastic. So when people buy more, it just keeps pushing it up, pushing it up, pushing up. Right now, four major companies have started using their cash reserves Instead of holding it in dollars, they're holding it in Bitcoin. And it's really paid off for all of them. That, that Bitcoin you know, has doubled uh, in the time that they, they bought their reserves. Um, so I, you know, I actually believe that Bitcoin is going to be worth a uh, million dollars each. I really, I really do. The other, thing, you know, the other thing, we look at it from the point of view of Americans, where we're like, oh, it's a little side thing. Uh, you know, a little investment, a little hedge. But I'll tell you, there's the whole rest of the world. These people actually really need it. They're, they're stuck in third world nations where, you know, I talked about the fiat US dollar. Think if your money was tied up in some bad countries uh, dollar. Of course, you know, we, when we think about bad, we're talking about corrupt, but also stupid. You know, you, you, could, you don't have to be corrupt. You just have to be stupid. But all those countries, what would you rather have? The Indian form of money, the Venezuelan form of money, or Bitcoin, which is spread all over the world, decentralized? I would way rather have Bitcoin. I'd way rather have Bitcoin than U.S. dollars. So that's why I'm so, um, so bullish about it. And the, the other thing is... Um, that there's now these apps that uh, you can stake and earn. So you buy your Bitcoin and then you loan it back to them and get a six and a half percent interest. It's like, like a bank loan, but way better than a bank. So I have, I have my Bitcoin and it's going up and down, up and down, but I think mostly up. But meanwhile, I have it earning six and a half percent on top of that. So then after that, that term is up, I can do that again for six and a half more. Or if I feel like selling it now, I can sell it now. But I'm going to hold it because like I said, it's 50,000 of Bitcoin now and it's going to be 100,000. Or I mean a million. I, I think a million. No, no kidding. I think it'll be 100,000 before the end of this calendar year. I really do. Wow. And, and the last thing about it, uh, I've done a great job of saying it all real fast, is People think they've missed the boat because it's already 50,000. But there's less than 1% um, of, the, um, of the world who's actually bought in. 99% of the world 
doesn't own Bitcoin. They're, they're the people who I tell about it and they're like, oh no, I missed the boat. I don't want to do it. I don't trust it. And that's fine. But I, I try to tell them, I try to tell my parents, they won't have it. They're not, you know, you can lead a horse to water. You can't make them drink. Right. But I hope that some of your uh, listeners, you know, this could be the best thing they ever did. Listen to a former naval aviator turned actor who bought some Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's some opportunity there for sure. And especially what you're doing to leverage it and, and lend it back out. Um, and I just found out about that like a week ago. I, that, that's a game changer. It's incredible. Yeah. That's super, super cool. Well, I'm Doug. I gotta, I gotta ask a super selfish question. How do I get a ride in a fighter plane? Okay. Uh, I got the answer. So you personally are sitting pretty because you have a, a podcast. The, the journalists have the easiest way to, to get a, a hop. When I was a, uh, the safety, the wing safety officer in Meridian, Mississippi, I was the uh, coordinator for the guest flights. And, and uh, what they had to do is they had to do a uh, request that goes through the public affairs officer to the chief, it's called CHINFO, Chief of Naval Information. They approve it, and then it comes back to the command they designate. Obviously, when I was in Meridian, Mississippi, we had a, uh, a journalist from Mississippi who wanted to get a hop. She did the paperwork, uh, then it came through to me to coordinate it. I work out her training. She has to get ejection seat training. You know, we don't want her accidentally ejecting out of the plane. Uh, that, as I told you, it's not good for your back and it, it's very expensive, you know, to lose a canopy. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, and then we uh, put her in the back seat with a great pilot who, who uh, if it's me, I always flew very smooth and I never had anyone throw up. Uh, when I got my guest hop before I joined the Navy, the pilot I got took pride in making people throw up. Oh. Uh, that's a dick move. But, uh, but yeah, he, he got me really sick. Um, you know, I was a high school kid. Um, and also the, the way I got it back then was uh, my mom met an admiral at the Portland Rose Festival. That's a really big deal. And she said, my son you know, wants to be a naval aviator. He goes, well, let's get him a hop. Let's make sure he, uh, you know, that's something he wants to do. And even though I was deathly sick afterwards, uh, air sick, I still was like, that was, that was amazing. But, but I think you're uh, in the right thing, you know, armed and ready podcast. It, I mean, you got your great production staff, uh, you know, so Dylan's there and Paco's there. You guys all head on out and, and you get to get that hop, rig up your cameras, you know, uh, your face will be, you know, pulling back and, and all that. The other, the other thing uh, people really like to do, and it's even easier, is to uh, go out on a cod and you can get a carrier arrested landing and a catapult shot in the mail uh, plane, the cod. They do that all the time. The aircraft's off the West Coast. Uh, you could easily line that up through the public affairs officer at uh, Navy North Island. I, 
I think if you want, I can hook you up with the point of contact for that. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely want you to hook me up with that. That's, um, that's a dream of mine. So let's make it happen. That'd be great. Yes. Yes, sir. Awesome. Well, Doug, thanks so much, man. I love hearing your stories. I could sit here and talk all afternoon about this stuff. Um, and um, I'm, I hope that our, our audience could uh, could also. But I really appreciate it, man. I, I love hearing the aviation stories and, and all the fun stuff that you're up to. And I uh, just love having you on the show, man. So thank you so much for coming out. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, Doug. Take care, man. See you later. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode. If you have any questions about the guests on the show, please reach out to me at valoneguy.us.